following message is from the North Shore Christian Centre MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Centre is available at www.nscc.org.au. Okay, if you have your Bibles, would you turn to Matthew chapter 6? Matthew chapter 6. And uh, this is the Lord's Prayer. I'm sure that you've all read it before. But I love the way that the Lord's Prayer starts. Before you look it up, who can tell me the first two words of the Lord's Prayer? Our Father. Not the person next to me's father, not his father or her father, but our Father. Come on, let's say it together. Our Father. We all have a Father, and He's perfect. And what a wonderful thing it is to be able to say, I have a perfect father. Not everybody can say that, but we can spiritually, our father. And, uh, and I just want to pick out just two things about the Lord's Prayer that focuses in on the nature of a father. So l- let's read it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I want to focus just on two aspects of the Lord's Prayer this morning. I want to focus on our Father. Give us this day our daily bread. And then our Father, deliver us from the evil one. So I don't have time to pull the whole prayer apart. But I want to focus on two aspects of this prayer. And the two aspects is our Father, our provider, give us this day our daily bread. And our Father, our protector, deliver us from the evil one. I want to talk to you about the nature of God being provider. God's nature is to provide for us. And so often what happens with us in the West that are so blessed with so many things that we actually lose sight of what we have and tend to focus on what we don't have. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that can ever happen in a human life where we are so focused on getting what we don't have that we stop being thankful for what we do have. And so consequently, last week, I was, I was talking about this, saying, come on, come on let's, let's stop and be thankful. Let's stop and be grateful. Let's stop. And before we even start asking God for things, stop and thank Him for what He's done. And just stop and, and be grateful and begin to see that He has blessed us abundantly. And I just think that that is one of the greatest signs of maturity when we begin to be grateful for what we have, more so than focused on what we don't have. On Father's Day, I suppose you can't help but think about your own father. And uh, and for me, I I can't help but think about my father who went to be with the Lord 16 years ago. In, In October, it'll be 16 years since my father passed away with a, a massive aneurysm that burst on his bed at home next to his mum, next to, not his mum, but my mum. And, 
and he knew he was dying he turned around his very last words was he called out her name and then just went to be with the lord and uh right there on on you know in their bed and um we didn't get to, a chance to say goodbye it was uh, it was funny because the day that he passed away he thought it was Anne's birthday it was Anne's birthday the day before but uh dad sang happy birthday to Anne and and it's their custom uh every birthday mum and dad used to get on the phone and they'd go happy birthday to you <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Anna. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> and that was the last time that uh, we heard my dad. And uh, he went to be with the Lord that evening. But on Father's Day, I can't help but think of the sacrifices that my dad made. See, dad, dad came to Australia in January of 1952. He left Italy in December of 1951. It was a six-week trip to get here. And he landed in Australia in 1952, January of 1952. And um, he, he told me the story of why he came. And I'll never forget it because it was the custom in Calabria, in southern Italy, that before you got married, you would build your house so that when you got married, you could actually take your wife into the house and have your family. Now, we're talking the deep south, Calabria, in the you know, post-war was pretty poor. And he's building this house out of rocks. We're talking a stone house. That's what we're talking about. And so they go to the river and find the stones and wherever they were and they'd just stick them together and buy some windows and buy some doors and buy some tiles for the roof but it was all the material that was around and he got about halfway through building this house and something dawned on him and he thought even if I build this house what sort of a future would I be able to give my family here in the devastation of Calabria after the war and so he stopped he the house wasn't finished and he stopped and he said I I'm, I'm out of here. I, I, I need to go and create a better life, not just for me, but for the family that I'm going to have one day. And when he shared that story, that impacted me because that was maybe a decade before I was born. And so even before I was born, he was thinking about how to provide for me. And so dad eventually, he, he wanted to go to Belgium incidentally because he had a friend there that was in Belgium. But when, when he went to apply for migrating to Belgium, the, the Belgium government said, sorry, but we've taken our quota of Italian migrants and we're not taking any more for the time being. But not far from here is the Australian consulate. And if you go there, I think they're taking some migrants. And so dad thought, well, if I can't go to Belgium, I'll go somewhere else. I'll go to Australia. Not fully knowing where Australia was. <laughs> Uh, I don't think geography was his greatest point. Yeah. And um, anyway, so, so he and a, you know, a few of his uh, cousins went and they thought, well, we can't go to Belgium, let's go somewhere else. And so they applied and the Israeli government said, yeah, we're taking migrants. But this is the condition. What's the condition? They weren't 10-pound palms. They were Italian migrants that actually had to pay for their fare and they 
were indentured to work for the Australian government for two years to pay off their indenture. And so they had to go and live in labour camps and for two years were sent wherever the Australian government wanted to send them as labourers to pay off for their, tri- for their fare. And so basically, that, they were like prisoners. Um, but they decided they would do it. And so uh, they would go fruit picking. And once the fruit picking season was over, they would be sent up to northern Queensland to cut sugar cane. And uh, I don't know if you... Is there anyone here that's ever cut sugar cane? And you've got, you, there's, there's Marnie at the back. We're talking, we're talking probably one of the worst jobs in the world because before you, they cut the sugar cane, they would burn it. They would get all the leaves off by burning it and the sugar cane would stay intact. And then guys would come into that horrible ash with their machetes and they would cut the sugar cane. And at the end of the day, the, 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 the sugar would actually stick the machete to the skin. And when you would try to take the machete off, it would actually rip the skin off. And you were totally covered in black ash from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. And we're talking the heat and humidity of northern Queensland. Dad thought that he was in hell. <laughs> he thought that he was in hell. And, uh, but he'd signed up for two years. So he'd already arranged with my mother, who was then his girlfriend, that once he'd established himself in Australia, that he would get her to come and they'd settle and and have a family. And so in those years, in those months where it was just agony, he actually ended up writing to her and he said, in all good conscience, I could never ask the woman that I love to come to this country and establish a life with me. I can't see myself coming back to Italy in the near future, but I want to release you. And if there's someone else that you can marry, that's fine. But I can't see myself coming back. And, uh, and basically, out of his love for her, he released her to establish a new life. But God had something else in store. And uh, she, without knowing it, waited for another seven or eight years until dad established himself in Australia. And then when he found out seven years later that she was still single and now he was established, now he had work, now he had money in the bank, he found out, what, this girl that I loved, that I released, is still available? So he wrote to his family and he said, I want to marry her. Would, would someone organize for her to come to Australia? And so, so then... My father's father went to my mother's father and said, my son in Australia wants to marry your daughter. Can we do this deal? <laughs> Go figure. And so, and so um, uh, they went to my mother and they said, do you remember the guy that uh, wanted to marry you, Salvatore Giuliano? Well, he, he's written and he wants to marry you. And, and my mother prayed about it and she felt the Holy Spirit said, your future is in Australia. Go to Australia and marry this man. Wow. She hadn't seen him for seven years, had no contact, no letters, no nothing. Well, dad was overjoyed. He was, he was just, he was wrapped. And so, uh, so he sends money to get her across. And my mother never had money. She was brought up in the deep south. And she was telling me just last night that dad sent her money for her to do the trip to Australia, 
but she was too shy to spend the money. And so she brought the money back to him that, she, that he sent to her. And I thought, you need to do lessons for women on spending money because that does not happen anymore. Am I right, Christelle? Huh? Yeah, absolutely. What? That? You haven't said enough. Send some more. Okay. <laughs> Everything changes. I, I, took a, I took my mother every now and then. I take her for a date. Last Sunday, she came to church and... Anne had something on, and so the two of us went out, just a, a mother and, and son date. And I took her up to, to North Head, and, and I said, hey, mom, do you know where we are here? She says, no, where are we here? I said, actually, you were here in June of 1958. She says, no, I wasn't. I said, well, not here on the hill, but there in the water. This is the entrance to Sydney Harbour. And in June of 1958, your ship actually came through that little piece of water. And on the other side where the ship stopped was a man that you had not seen since you were a a young teenager. And you were going to get off the ship, get married to him and spend the rest of your life with him. I said, how did you feel? She said, I've got no idea how I felt. (laughs) And I said, I'm intrigued because I'm sitting here saying... How did this all work? You know, how did this all come together? And it's just this amazing love story that God put together and, uh, and, and just put all the pieces together to get godly people in a place where he could bless them and establish their future. And they all had this mindset, God, if you're in it, I'm in it. And that was my mum's mindset. God, if you're in it, I'm in it. And she felt the Holy Spirit saying to her, your future is here. Your future is in Australia. Your future is in Australia. And so they got married and from day one, my dad provided. He would go to work and at that time he was working at Glenbourne Dam. And here's my mum. My mum has never been to school one day in her life, okay? Was never taught mathematics. She, but always a woman of God. And so her biggest desire in life was to read the Bible, and she said, she said, God, I only ask one thing from you, that you would teach me how I can read the Bible because I want to read the Bible. And you can talk to her next time she comes to this church because God miraculously gave her the ability to read the Bible. Just mirac- And so she turns up one day and she goes to her mum. She says, hey, look what God's done for me. What, 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 daughter? God's given me the ability to read the Bible. And her mother says, ah, don't be so silly. She says, no, well, you, you give me the Bible. So, so, so she opens up the Bible and she starts reading. And, mother, and the mother says, oh, you've just memorized that verse. Oh, ye of little faith. <laughs> so the mother then opens up to some just obscure scripture and says, okay, read this. And my mother starts reading it. My grandmother starts to cry and says, this is a miracle. This is an absolute miracle. So incredible stories. I, I tell you, I stand here so blessed to have this sort of heritage. We're talking about people that just trusted in God. People that just, that, they could go nowhere else but to the miraculous. There was no opportunity for mum to learn to read the Bible except for a miracle of God. So she comes to Australia, again, no schooling. And dad says, I want to provide for you. And so he would work. And back in those days... You actually got money 
It wasn't transference of funds to an account. Uh, they'd actually give you a pay- How many of you remember the days of a pay packet? How many of you don't know what I'm talking about? There used to be an envelope. It was a pay packet. And it was sealed. And in the envelope was your pay. And it was cash money. And so dad would actually get his pay packet. And he'd bring it home. And he'd give the whole pay packet to my mum. She'd never had this sort of money before. But it was his way of saying, I'm going to provide for you. He opened up the bank book. He'd been in Australia now since 1952. He opened it up and he said, look, this is all the money that I've saved. And he says, there would have been a lot more had I not supported my family in Italy. And uh, because every time there was a need, dad had sent money across. Every time someone got married, dad had sent money across. They were poor. He now had income. He'd be sending money. But you know what? I was born nine months later. So they got married in June of 1958. I was born March of 1959. Nine months later. You're looking at a honeymoon baby, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) I'm just full of love, baby. (laughs) And, And within a few months of me being born, they moved to Newcastle and they bought their first house cash. Cash money, mate. That's how we work here in Italy, mate. Cash money, mate. They bought their first house. Dad had saved up. They bought their first house cash. See, that was the whole mindset. I need to provide. I need to provide. I need to provide. And so when when I was born, I was born surrounded by stuff that my parents never had. I I was born in their mindset as only the very, very rich in Italy are born. I mean, I had a bed, I had a cot, I had just, you know, just beautiful baby clothes that, that were all given. What was funny is this, is that, is that when they moved to Australia, mum had been used to working. See, if you were a girl in southern Italy, you worked from, from before the sun rises to when the sun sets, you work, you, you and, and my grandfather had a farm, so they had the animals. And so you don't, in Italy back in those days, you don't go to the baker to buy bread. You bake your own bread. And so this was the deal. On a particular day of the week, they would get the flour, they would get that, and they'd bake the bread. And, and that was mum's job. She was the baker. She had to make the bread. And so, you know, and they didn't have running water. So you need water, you go to the spring and you fill up all your big water bottles and then you bring them home and, and washing and all that. There was no machinery. There was no electricity. There was no running water. So she was used to working. Now, when she got married to my dad, my dad wanted to be the queen of the manor. And so, and so he was living in this guest home and, uh, and he goes to work. And my poor mum, she sort of wakes up in the day and says, what, are, what am I going to do? He says, just relax. You're the queen of the castle. You don't have to do anything. You know what she would do? She'd go to the, to the lady of the guest house and she says, look, I don't want any money. I just want to work. Whatever you've got for me to do. She says, I, I just can't survive without working. I'll make the beds for you. I'll clean. I'll do whatever. And so this lady says, are you kidding me? Who, who says that? She says, my mum says, I just want to work. I just want to work. And so the lady of the guest house says, mate, if you're going to do this, I won't charge you any rent. Well, dad was really happy there. That was, 
he thought, man, I've scored. I've hit the jackpot here. But, but what happened is that they had to move then from Scone to Newcastle because that's where I was born. And when the, the, the owner of the guest house heard that I was born, she went all the way from Scone and mum reckons that she brought everything that a baby needed. She brought clothes, she brought blankets, she just brought everything because mum had blessed her. She wanted to bless mum. And so when I was born, I was surrounded in luxury, folks. And uh, I suppose that's where I got accustomed to living in luxury. <laughs> Started right there. But provision, provision. Can, can I just say that that's the heart of God to provide? And it's the heart of every father to provide. And I, I just want to say that most men know how to provide food, clothing, shelter, education. But there's a few more things that I think that as men we need to provide besides those basics. You know, I don't think there's any argument about that. But what else should a man provide? Well, let me talk to you about a moral code. I just think one of the greatest things that a man can provide for his family is a moral code where your family actually understands the difference between right and wrong. It's one of the greatest things you can provide for your family. Bible calls it the Ten Commandments. That's our moral code. That's God saying to us, this is the moral code. One of the, the things that worries me is that today, people have got their own moral code that they've made up. And it's not even close to God's moral code. And I, and I think there is, there is nothing wrong with a moral code that says, good, do good to others. I think that's a wonderful moral code. I think it's a wonderful moral code that includes being kind to the environment. I think that's a wonderful thing. We've only got one planet. Let's make sure that we look after it, not just for us, but for our generation. I think that's a great thing. But, but the difference between man's moral code and God's moral code is that man's moral code leaves out a very important factor. And what's that factor? How we should behave towards God. And so when you listen to the world's moral code of do good to others, look after others, look after the planet, yeah, that's all wonderful. But where does the God factor fit in? Well, they don't have one because to them, they've removed God from the moral code. But we put God into the moral code because we're people that understand that God made this planet, that God made us, that God is the higher power to which we are accountable. And I believe this, that everyone that grows up with an understanding of accountability, everybody say accountability. accountability. Anyone that grows up with the whole concept of accountability actually stays on the straight and narrow. People that grow up with no consciousness of accountability, they move away from the straight and narrow because they don't have to give an account. And the Bible says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And what's the reason? Because they don't want to give an account. And so the fact is that if God made us and God made this planet and God made you and God made me, then one day we will stand before God and give an account of our lives. When that day comes, I want to give a good account of my life. And so that keeps me on the straight and narrow. 
I love accountability. I love that accountability is available for us, not just in our natural world, but in our spiritual world. And I think any father that teaches their children about the moral code and how God is involved in the moral code will teach their children the right way. I'll tell you what else we need to provide for our families. And this is another thing, which is a big thing. Not just, again, as I said, the the food and the clothing and the shelter and the education that everybody agrees, that's, that's, that's appropriate. A moral code. Here's something else that I think is just so powerful for us to provide for the people around us. Here it is. Are you ready for this? Words of encouragement. Words of encouragement. How many of you know that people thrive with words of encouragement and they shrivel with negative words. But you know, the most significant words of encouragement need to come from the significant people in your life. And there's no one more significant than a father figure. There's no one more significant in life than than the authority that's within a father figure. And can I just say that there's Nothing that can rip someone's heart apart than a father figure using words that just rip and tear. And You idiot! Ah, you're so stupid! Those words just rip people apart. But when, when, when a child or even an adult hears from their father, I'm just so proud of you. You are just so awesome. I, I, I just... When I look at you, my heart just overflows. That is just so, so beautiful. That is so beautiful. When, when you saw Anne's father today come to the front and just keep kissing his daughter, just keep kissing. And, and let me tell you, he is so proud of his daughter and tells her all the time, just one of the greatest gifts that he can give. You know, Sometimes what happens is that we try to substitute gifts and so, so some fathers, I, I'd rather give you money. I'd rather give you a gift. And most people say, do you know what? I would, just, I would just love for you to say, I love you. I'm proud of you. That, that would be more gold to me than a house or a car or whatever. You say, well, I get out of here. I'm telling you, there are people, because once you've got possessions and you're still empty on the inside, how do you, how do you meet that need? By just understanding that one of the greatest gifts you can give people are words of encouragement. Here's something else that we need to give the people around us is words of wisdom. One of the things that enables you to be a father is just one thing, and that is you need to be older. That's what makes you a father. You are older than your child. That's the way God meant it to be. Okay, we got that? It's the mathematics are pretty simple. Okay, very simple, that uh, for a man to have children needs to be of a particular age, then he has children and the children are younger. And so what that automatically denotes is that you've got more experience. And with more experience comes wisdom. And so it's part of the responsibility of a father to provide wisdom, wisdom. Now, can I just say that wisdom is divided into two sections? One is worldly wisdom and one is spiritual wisdom. And so I want to provide both for my kids. I want to provide them wisdom on how to do business. 
I want, to, I, 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 I want to give them wisdom on how to do life. I want to do wisdom on how to build wealth. I want to, do, I, I want to share them wisdom of, hey, listen, let, me, let me tell you something. From my experience, if something sounds too good to be true, it is too good to be true. So don't go there. Don't invest in schemes that promise the world but deliver nothing. That's, that's worldly wisdom. But you know what's really more important is spiritual wisdom. Hey, here's wisdom. Obey God. Bottom line. Obey God. Why is that? Because God knows best. And by obeying him, you will always get the best result at the end. Here's wisdom. Before you make a decision, stop and ask God, God, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to go this way or that way? And listen to what, don't let your emotions cloud your thinking, but stop and ask God. Before you make a decision, stop and ask a mentor. When we're talking about big decisions, don't just jump in at yourself. Surround yourself with godly people that are able to help you. And that is just such an awesome thing. And let me tell you the last thing. And I mean, there's a, by no means is this an exhaustible list. I'm just giving you just a few, a, a few things of what to provide. Here's another thing that fathers need to provide, and that's a bit of fun factor. Come on, have a bit of fun. Everybody say fun. There's nothing more beautiful than laughter in a home. There's nothing more beautiful. And so, I mean, I can't tickle my kids anymore. I mean, Steve can beat me in arm wrestling. Christelle can run faster than me. I I just can't tickle them anymore. It just doesn't work. So you've got to work out new ways of making your kids laugh. And so this afternoon, they're all going to laugh at me. You say, having a, they're going to put me into a shark tank and watch me get chased by sharks at Manly Aquarium. And say, so, yeah, I'm, I'm up to it. Come on. When I told my mother, she was panicking. She said, what are they going to do? Well, do these sharks really bite? And I said, well, they got teeth. She goes, son with the Jesu. In Italian, that means all the blood of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm covered, I suppose. You know, my mother's prayed for me. Oh, I'm telling you. But the fun factor, I just love. I, there's nothing more beautiful than to be surrounded at your table, at your dinner table, and everybody's laughing. Not fighting, but laughing. And a few, couple of dad jokes doesn't go astray. They laugh at the fact that you told a dad joke. It's not the punchline that's funny it's the dad joke and let's all laugh at dad it's okay it's fine but fun provide fun and the last thing i want to say is this said our father not only is a provider but he's a protector and can i just say that yeah we we are really aware of protecting your family from the baddies that are out there the intruders that are out there you know, the, the pedophiles that are out there, the thieves that are out there. And it's like we're well aware of the physical. But can I just take you to another dimension? And that's, what about protecting your family spiritually? What about protecting your family from the negative words that actually cut people apart? How about you be a protector where you delve into their inner world and find out what's creating this turmoil and stress on the inside of you. How can I, how can I come and help and, and build protection around you so that you don't believe 
those negative words that are being thrust at you by that bully. But I'm your dad, and your dad is telling you the truth. And you are mighty. You are awesome. You were designed by God to accomplish great things. You're intelligent. You're bright. You're significant. And as your dad, I'm telling you right now that those things are lies. And I've put a hedge of protection around your mind so that those evil thoughts don't penetrate and take root in your mind and produce bad fruit within your mind. I dig those weeds up in the name of Jesus. And I'm telling you what the truth is. As your dad, this is the truth. You protect their minds from all the onslaughts of this world that's telling them, you're not pretty enough. You're not smart enough. You're not tall enough. You're not... And and, and it goes on and on and on creating negative images. And you've got this incredible responsibility to create a right image and protect them from the enemy's onslaught that would try to destroy them. What a great thing it is to provide and protect And that's the heart of God that provides and protects for us. And you know what? As a dad, that was my goal to emulate my dad who provided and protected me. Now, as a father for my family, provide and protect them. But you know what? As your pastor, one of the greatest joys for me is to provide for you and to protect you. You say, how do you provide for me? Every Sunday you come here and I provide spiritual food for you. I pray, God, give me some food for these people. Give me some food so that they leave better than the way that they came. So that they leave nourished by the word of God. So that there's some revelation of God that they take some incredible openness that gives God glory and makes God the hero. And they can go home and say, you know what? I got a better revelation of God because I went to church. I'm going to provide. I, yeah. I want to provide for you family. For some of you, your family is dysfunctional. But I want you to come into this family. This family of God from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. An atmosphere where you are valued. Well, you're not pushed into a box and say, well, you've got to be this, that, and the other before we accept you. But you can come in here and you're accepted just the way that you are. You're loved just the way you are. You are nurtured and you are taken on a journey to achieve the excellence that only you can accomplish because you're in family, you're in community. And we're also here to protect you from the onslaughts of the enemy because when you leave this place, the enemy will try to attack you But I'm praying to God that because of the word that you received today, there's a hedge of protection around your mind that when the enemy comes to try to destroy you, something inside of you will rise up and say, I've got a father in heaven that protects me. I've got a father in heaven who sent his son to die upon the cross to defeat the enemy. The enemy has been defeated. Jesus is victorious. And I'm living on the winning side where you can start to confess that. And not fall under the first arrow of opposition that comes your way. We're here to protect you. We're here to stand with you. We're here to provide for you. This is your family. This is the family of God. And I can't change the way that you're treated out there. But I'm going to make jolly sure that when you come here, you're treated well with respect and love and nurture. Because this...
is the family of God, the house of God, for the glory of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Centre Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials. 